This is the Canoe Creek Podcast. Our vision is to help people in our community connect to God, grow in Christ, and go serve others. We are located at 4080 Pine Tree Road, and our Sunday morning service times are 9 o'clock and 1030. Thank you for tuning in. morning canoe creek i'm excited to be here this morning we're wrapping up this sermon series that we've been in since easter and remember that this sermon series rooted it was basically predicated by you know on the, the idea of easter that the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ wasn't the end of something it was the beginning of everything and that because of that when we're rooted in christ when we're rooted in the knowledge of christ his word his promises his will it gives us the opportunity to live full lives. And sometimes I think we just think if we just hold on, if we hold on, if we hold on, things are going to get better in the future when Christ returns, all that kind of stuff. Christ is already reigning as a king. And we already have the opportunity to be transformed in ways that we never imagined possible. We have the opportunity to be engaged in things, involved, active, and things that will last into eternity as we look forward to him coming and making everything perfect. And making everything complete. And so we've been preaching on that. We've been talking about that. The kinds of things that we can be rooted in. And you know, last couple of weeks, we talked about being rooted in the idea of connecting with Christ in baptism. uh, Receiving forgiveness in the Spirit of God. Which is essentially that empowerment that helps us become someone that we never imagined we could become before. It's based on, you know, Christ and His work and His will Rather than just moralism, I'm going to be good and pick myself up by my bootstraps and work harder. Uh, Those work together, but obviously uh, Christ is the reason. He is the power in the sense, and we want to connect with him. And so we're going to finish that. We were in Acts chapter 2. We're going to finish that uh, by looking at the rest of that chapter and what that means to us and where we should be rooted in regards to. Uh, to that text. And so let me just start out by sharing with you something I found kind of funny. Uh, I heard this story about two guys that were going on a trip. So they were at the airport uh, walking through the terminals. One of them got ahead of the other one. He sat down. And the other one, as he was walking over to where his buddy was sitting to have a seat himself, he passed by these two girls, very pretty girls, blonde hair, blue eyes. And they kind of were looking at him and smiling, giggling a little bit. And they said, nine. And so he walked on with his chest puffed up a little bit, and he walked over to his buddy, and he said, listen, man, those two pretty girls over there just said I was a 9 out of a 10. And his buddy just started laughing. And he said, I was watching those girls when they got dropped off. They're actually German. They don't speak any English. 9 means no. So sometimes we hear things, and we misinterpret them, or we, mis- we misunderstand what's really going on there. And I think that that is true when it comes to the idea of being a member of the church. 
For example, as soon as I said that and you start thinking, okay, this sermon's about church membership, and so you're starting to check out and yawn already, remember, I come at things from a different approach quite often. It's just from the Scriptures. It's pretty interesting when you do that how powerful it is. But my point being is this is whenever I say that, a lot of people immediately think, well, he's going to be talking about being a member of Canoe Creek Christian Church, and I'm not. I'm going to be talking about being a member of the church. What does it mean to be rooted as a member of the church? And how am I, or why should I be, or how can I be, and things of that nature? Because when we are rooted as a member of the church... It has a profound impact in our life, and it can move us and encourage us to be something far more than we ever imagined. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, the Word of God tells us that when we unite our life with Christ in baptism, we become a part of a body. You know, which is being a member of the church. Acts 2.41 says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What does that mean, added to their number? Well, it means that they were added to the church. They became members of the church, having a faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and trusting in God's will, following his will, his way, brings us in connection with God and and a a faith family that helps us grow as we study His Word together so that we can go and serve His will. And and ultimately, that's what we see happening at the very first day uh, of the church, which is what we've studied here the last couple of weeks. And it's interesting because today is considered Pentecost Sunday, so many days after the, the, the resurrection of Christ and then his ascension. So it's a good time to be talking about these. And when we look at these two verses, and there are many more, just looked at 1 Corinthians and Acts, there's many more. There's one thing that's clear, and this is what it is. There is no biblical concept of being united with Christ without being a member of the church. See, the two go completely together, that when you are united with Christ in baptism, you are a member of the church. I don't care if you're here in St. Cloud 4 or you're in Miramar with our friend Judah or wherever it is that you're at, you are a member of the church. And whenever you gather together with others who are also united with Christ in baptism, believers, they are the church as well. Gather together wherever, whatever language, whatever culture, ultimately, to carry out the will, to serve in devotion Jesus Christ, who is the reason that they are a member. Listen, being a member of a, of a local church, of Canoe Creek, it's not a biblical command. It's a practical application. You're saying, hey, I want to partner with this church in ministry. That's awesome. And I would encourage you to partner with a church in your local community. But it's not a biblical command. It's a practical application of what we see in the Scriptures, that when you are united with Christ, you're the member of the church, where do you gather with that spiritual family? To be inspired, to be encouraged, to be reminded to serve others as you serve out the will of God in the community that you're in as well. My point being, the church gathers out of devotion to Christ, to connect, to grow, to go, and to serve His will. Listen to what Acts says. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria uh, enjoyed a time of peace. Uh, The point being is that they're recognizing the church as it is represented in a variety of locations. 
And think about this. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul begins that letter by saying, this letter's to the churches in Galatia. He's not saying, you know, the church of this and the church of that and the church of, you know, Wallamazoo or whatever. He's saying the church is referring to all of the churches of all the people who are members of God's kingdom and members of God's church to serve His will out of their devotion to Christ and out of their desire to devote themselves to His will. Here's the thing. We're members of His church when we're united with Christ in baptism and have a devotion to follow His will. We are partners with a local church when we go there consistently to serve out that will, to grow, to encourage ourselves, equip ourselves to go and to serve Him, or wherever it is that we go for that. And that's why we distinguish that at Canoe Creek. When you become a member, as most of us call it, of this church, we say partner because you're already a member and we want to distinguish the language. If you are already united with Christ in baptism, you are a member of God's church. And we, you know, if you want to come and be a part of this church consistently, we want you to partner with us, whether it's in giving and serving and carrying out the will and devotion, whatever it is, to partner here so that we can accomplish the goal of helping people connect with God relationally, helping people grow in Christ spiritually, and to go share Him with your world, wherever your world is. Whether it be in school, be in work, be in a community, be at the dry cleaners, wherever your world is is where you are at that moment. And to share Christ with those people there. Here's the problem. Creeds, special kinds of confessions, man-made traditions have changed this simple truth about church membership that being united with christ and baptism makes us a member of his church and it's our goal at canoe creek to lower down all of those things to not have anything that's a man-made creed a man-made confession something that we created that just is simply another stepping stone or a roadblock or a hurdle if you can jump this high then you can have fellowship with us you know to say that you have to do this before you can be a partner at Canoe Creek Christian Church. No, just simply whatever the scriptures say is what we should do. You know, we've already read from 1 Corinthians, but listen to this from 1 Corinthians and some others. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Colossians 1.18, and he that is Jesus is the head of the body, the church. That's why we're devoted to him. John 10 says, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. Another reason why we are devoted to Christ. That this membership, that this body, this church that is universal, is made up of people who are united to him, that is Christ, devoted to him, that is Christ, desiring to carry out his will, to love others as he has loved them. And, and there's so many other things. Look at how the scriptures refer to us. We're a church of saints. We're a kingdom of citizens. A building of stones. A vine of branches. A fold of sheep. A household of children. And a body of members. And as somebody in first service pointed out, I forgot to put up here, the bride of Christ, which is a really awesome metaphor. All of them descriptions, though, to describe people who have made a decision in faith to unite their lives with Christ And to be devoted to His will, growing to know who He is, going to serve what it is that He wants us to serve. But how often do you see somebody referring to this body or this group or this membership in these ways? 
Yeah, I mean, you, you ever have somebody come up to you or you ever go up to somebody and say, well, hey, are you a fold of the sheep? I wouldn't do that. That would be really weird. And um, you might find yourself in lockup somewhere. But, you know, the point being is we refer to each other in all kinds of other ways, though, that are man-made traditional ways, right? We have all kinds of different names and ideas of how we refer to each other. Like, what, what denomination are you? Well, I'm non-denom. Or I'm Methodist, or I'm Presbyterian, or I'm Wesleyan, I'm Lutheran, I'm Baptist, I'm Catholic, I'm Roman Catholic, I'm a Reformer, I'm a Restorer. Oh, I'm a, I'm a community church, I'm your mama's church. I don't know, we've got them all, though, don't we? And that's how we so often refer to one another, and that, and that is not what Christ died for. He, Christ, he died for us to be united, not for us to be divided. And here's the reality, I'm... I say this with a little bit of jest in it, but I do not mean to offend in any way. I just mean to be sincere about this. That what the Scriptures say we are is what we should say we are. What the Scriptures invite us to be connected with is what we should be connected with. And and when we do things that divide us, we are not bringing about the heart of Christ. And we should be encouraging that. And I realize that we also say things that are sometimes a little bit odd, that don't really reflect the church as it should. For example, we say things like, the church is an organization. I guess you could say that. I mean, certainly is flimsy. The church is a place of worship. The church is a denomination. Or the church is a building. Or the church is a place where we go to. And we say things like that, and I think sometimes we say them without really even internalizing or thinking about it. Or maybe we do, and we know we're saying something that's a little bit weird. It doesn't really describe the idea of what the church is the best. But we say it because we don't know how else to communicate something clearly to someone. Which means we have culturally, we have allowed culturally for our concept of church to be redefined. And we have to use these things that don't really clearly describe the church and its membership in the best way because there's no other way to help that person understand what I'm trying to say. Because over time, rather than just simply saying, what does the Word say? How does the Word describe the church? What is it about the church? How do we become members of the church? What is it that I'm supposed to do as a member of the church? We've allowed traditions in the world to start redefining those things and all I'm saying is, listen, we want to be rooted in God's Word. We want to be rooted in His truth. We want to be rooted in His grace. Because when we do that, we come in connection with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in such a way that we can live a life that we never imagined we could live. That's full. That's powerful. That's meaningful. That's without fear. That's without uh, a sense of, uh, you know, lacking direction but it has purpose and it has meaning to it. So rather than rooting in what Christ died for, though, sometimes we root ourselves in traditions or heritage, cultural icons, and we just hold on to those things because they mean so much to us regardless of whether or not they're biblical or scriptural. And I'm really inviting all of us to consider 
being rooted in God's word. Because here's the problem with rooting ourselves in heritage or tradition or man-made cultural icons. Here's the problem with it. It leads, I believe, it leads us as Christians to serve Christ out of duty rather than devotion. And while we can be a devoted person who does something out of our duty within the devotion... We can be somebody who just serves out of a sense of duty with no devotion, and there's a problem in that. And I'm going to point out where that problem is. Acts chapter 2 says this. Remember, this follows what we were studying, where they were convicted by the message that was preached. They asked, what should we do? And then they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted themselves. And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and um, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate with, together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a scripture of the church. This is describing the church in its first days and what it looked like. And and here's one of the things that's interesting about this. I want to reveal something about myself that um, I said in first service. I'll say it in second service. Sometimes I, I, I lose where the line of transparency should be. And so if you have an email that you want to send, just send it to the elders. They'll talk to me about it later over this. But I'm just being honest with you. I, I have a personal principle within ministry. You know, I have never been concerned. Sometimes it's, it's, been, it's been difficult. But I have never been concerned about people who leave Canoe Creek. It doesn't mean I don't care for them. It doesn't mean I don't love them. But I have seen people come and I have seen people go. But as long as they're in Christ, I don't chase people. Now, there have been times where somebody gives their life to Christ through this ministry and then they take off. I I do pursue them to try and find out what's going on. How can we keep them connected to the body of Christ? And then there are people who are not yet connected to the body of Christ that haven't given their life to Christ. And I do pursue them to some degree as well. But it's just a personal principle of mine. And, And here's what I find interesting. Within this passage and within all of the New Testament, as you read it, there was never this persistence to try and get people to show up. There's never this thou shalt about, hey, you need to go out there and make them come, make them be involved, make them be engaged. All of the New Testament is commands or prescription, prescriptive of the idea of how the church should live out in devotion to Christ. That now that you are devoted to Christ, this is what you should do versus doing that. And of course, there are some scriptures where it talks about, hey, don't stop meeting together. Don't give up on what, you, what you're doing. And often we'll use those to try and bully people or guilt them into you need to show up. And really that's about connecting to Christ, though. See, the reason where we get those warnings to say, stop, don't stop meeting together, is because they were, they were stopping their connection with Christ. They were determining that He wasn't essential in their life and that they could go back to some of their previous religious principles and they didn't have to keep the, 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 you know, their conviction and faith and commitment to Christ. And so those two went together. Why? Because when you're united with Christ, you're a member with the church, they go together. And so it makes sense that they said those things in conjunction 
together to encourage them to remain connected to Christ, which means you're going to remain involved with the church wherever it is that you are. And, and so because of that, I, I just that's a personal principle I have. And, and, and s- some people don't like it. I've actually been told that, you know, well, you didn't call, you didn't show up, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And I was like, I, you know, you just stopped coming on a Sunday morning, and I'm sorry, I, I, didn't, I didn't notice, because if you notice, there's like several hundred other people that are there too, and it's kind of hard. Some people just want to be pursued in that way, and my, and my question to them is, when I read this scripture here that we just read, or my observation is, they were devoted. They didn't need somebody showing up to their front door saying, you need to show up. They didn't need somebody coming around with a spoon saying, you know, feed me. And they fed themselves. They were consistently involved. They were consistently excited. They were, because why? They weren't doing this out of an obligation or just simply a duty. They were doing it out of a ultimate devotion. It says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching because the foundation of God's will and his word, it makes everything right. It sets everything straight. And some people say, I hate this idea. Of, of doctrine. It's so dogmatic. You know, just get rid of all that doctrine stuff. Just love people and this and that. And, and, I, and try to say to them, don't you get it? Don't you understand? Everybody has doctrine. Everybody has a code. Everybody has a mantra. Everybody has something that they're following. Somebody said, well, yeah, you believe in Jesus and all that, and that he died for us. Says, I just think we need to be good people. I say, okay, that's your doctrine. I disagree with you. That's fine. We can disagree and be friends but don't tell me that doctrine's bad because you just said to me you have a doctrine you believe it's what you put your faith in it's what you live according to you may do it unintentionally unspoken unwritten but it is a statement of belief and it's where you're hanging your hat and it's where you're putting your faith and your conviction you know, here's the idea about doctrine and the fact that it's a foundation. It's what drives your decisions. This is what drives your life. It's what drives your core beliefs. When we have a house and the roof needs some repairing or the walls need some touching up or the windows need fixing, you know, it's not that big of a deal. We want to do it or we desire to do it. We want it to look different or it needs to be repaired. Maybe a storm's coming or came through and it is pretty essential and important. It's a priority. You know, so it's a little bit higher on our elevation list, right? But when somebody says, you got foundational problems, we gasp. No, don't tell me I got a foundation problem, you know. We see dollar signs. We stay awake at night lying there envisioning our roof collapsing on our head while we're sleeping. You know why? Because that's significant. It's serious. We don't, you know, we don't Pinterest about how we're going to improve our foundation. The foundation is the foundation. It stays. It's there. I mean, it's like concrete or subfloor with piers or whatever. And it just, it's there. We don't want to think about it, and we don't want to have to mess with it because we want it to stay the same always. They were devoted to that. From the very first day of the church, they were devoted to keeping what Christ had shared with these special 12 individuals, and they had been sharing with the 120. Now on the first day of the church, 3,120. They wanted to remain committed to their membership, to Christ, about what were those foundational teachings and principles. But the question is, why? Well, essentially because the people closest to Jesus said it's important. 
But even more than that, we ask the question, why? Why would they keep, they keep these foundational principles? Why would they alter their lives? Why would they put their lives in jeopardy? Why would they risk their personal sacrifice? And there's one word that explains why. The word was in the text. Devotion. Let me ask you a question. Why would Christ give up heaven? Why would Christ endure emotional, mental, physical hardship? Why would Christ sacrifice himself? Why would Christ do all of those things? Sometimes we ask, why Easter? Why Christmas? Why did God choose this route? Why God in the flesh? I mean, that's some weird stuff, right? But in faith, we recognize why. One word. Devotion. God did the things that he did the way that he did them to express his love for us. Because devotion is an act of love. Actions based on duty are carried out because of obligation. Actions based on devotion are carried out because of love and commitment. Now, don't get me wrong. Carrying out personal duties or personal obligations is fine as long as it's being done under the umbrella of a devotion. Because when it's not being done under the umbrella of a devotion, it's just simply something I must do, I have to do. And there's a problem with that. There's an issue in that. See, devotion is where we're moved by love. Sometimes duty is just we're moved by obligation. There's nothing wrong with being dutiful and accomplishing a job or accomplishing a task. But if we're not careful, here's what happens. Dutiful actions that are not done out of devotion can result in our desire for compensation or in our resentfulness. Let me me give you an example. Take any relationship you want, whether it's a a spouse, husband, wife, or whether it's parent, child, or siblings, or just a friend, whatever. And, you know, there's this expectation there, but there's a lack of love or a lack of devotion. And so how does that relationship work? It basically works on a compensation system. I do this, you do that. I get this, I give that. And as soon as that compensation system gets out of balance, what happens? Resentfulness. I've given five, you've only given three. Why? Because everything in my heart is based on my duty, my obligation to just simply do this, rather than my devotion to love you. God loves us through devotion. And being a member of the church isn't a job, it isn't a task, it isn't an accomplishment. It's the result of a meaningful relationship built on love because Christ pursued you. Christ was devoted to you. He has given himself for all of us. And we come underneath his leadership as members of his church devoted to his will. So we're devoted to connecting with him, growing and understanding who He is so that we can go and share Him with our world. And when we do that, we are members, ultimately, of His church. Listen, we don't marry somebody out of a sense of obligation. If we do, it's a bad idea. Go ahead. Listen, if you need some premarital counseling, and that one's in your repertoire right now, you're marrying somebody out of obligation, come talk. We'll work on that. Because that's not going to go well. 
You know, we don't marry somebody because, well, they've been really nice to my family, so I'm going to marry them. And here's the sad thing, and here's the reality of this, is that in some, organiz- in some cultures, you have it where, well, I'm obligated to marry him because he gave my dad two cows. You know, or some reason like that. No, we marry somebody out of our devotion to them. We connect ourselves together with them. The same should be true with the church. And what is it, what's the application of this? We should not force somebody into a relationship with Christ. We, so, you know, sometimes we think if we just get them up here and get them in water, things are going to be great. No, somebody has to make that decision. They're cut to the heart. They recognize Christ and his devotion to them. And so in, in return, they desire to be devoted to him because he has brought truth about who God is. He's brought grace about how God is devoted to our redemption in our lives as well. But sometimes people say, well, you know, out of duty, I'm obligated to the church, I'm obligated to serve, I'm obligated to be nice, I'm obligated to give somebody something generously, I'm obligated to take communion. You know, I'm obligated, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Sooner or later, here's where those obligations and a dutiful response to, as a member of the church leads us. It leads us to a compensation system that's full of resentfulness. Well, I deserve it. Don't you? I mean, we do this within church membership, local church partnership, as well as the universal church. We start showing up to our church and getting all upset because we think that we're owed something. We think that we deserve something. I've been here for many years. I've done this. I've done that. Don't you know? I've had somebody tell me, don't you know how much I've given? I said, yes, I do, because I asked. And I'm sure that they're going to love that in another church. But yet we get that spirit of compensation, that spirit of resentfulness, and then sometimes it works out in our relationship with God and our relationship with the universal church in the sense that we say, well, God owes me. I've worked hard. He should save me. I've been good. Like, what Bible are you reading? Is that like Second Hesitations 512? I'm not sure where that one is at. Or things in our life don't go the way that we had expected. No health, no wealth, no prosperity. God, where are you? This isn't what I signed up for. And maybe we become resentful. This is why it's so important for us to recognize the devotion to which God has served us. The love to which he's pursued us. And how is it? What is it? Why is it that they would make this decision? You know, we look back before this verse and we look at the... 238 of Acts, and it ultimately says that they heard the word of God preached about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They were convicted. They were cut to the heart. Their heart was broke open, bleeding. They were, they were crushed by the news that a devoted, loving God had come to them and they had killed him. And because of that, they wanted to love and trust and follow him. That's why I love this one verse in 44 that we read. It says that the believers were together and they had everything in common. They were devoted to the unity that Christ had died for. They were devoted and committed to what he had established for them. Now, this isn't a dutiful act. This is a a passion, a devotion, an act of love for other people 
who believe the same. They've acted this way because they had their heart cut deep. And what cut their heart? It was the knowledge of Jesus' devotion for them. And being a member of the church is more than just dutiful actions. It is a matter of devotion to Christ. And here's what I want to say. Devotion to Christ rather than duty to the church is what makes us a member of the church. Devotion to Christ rather than just duty to the church is what makes us a, a church member of the church universal. Not a partner of Canoe Creek. That's different. If Jesus had been sacrificed on the cross because it was his duty, nobody would be here. Maybe some of us, I don't know. But because he, out of love, sacrificed himself and demonstrates that love by telling us what the truth about God is, displaying the true presence of God here on this earth, and giving us grace. So that even though we fall short, even though we make mistakes, that we can be connected with God, that we can grow, and that we could go to serve Him. Let me just close with this one last thought, make a connection with the story. Maybe you've seen or you've heard, you've read um, some of C.S. Lewis's work in his fictional work, The Chronicles of Narnia. And there's interesting connections to the spiritual realm of God's world, to the characters of God's world, and to help lead us to know and understand God better. And he has this one character by the name of Lucy, and she has not seen Aslan, which is a character that represents God. Christ. She hasn't seen him for a while, and he's a lion in this story. And when she sees him after some time has passed, and she's been through some things, and she's grown up a little bit, she's looking at his hands, his paws, and she's like, wow, you're, you're so much bigger than you were. You've grown so much. And Aslan goes on to explain, I haven't grown at all. I'm still the same I was last time you saw me. She says, that can't be. He says, I haven't changed. You've changed. So when you saw me last, and maybe I just looked like a little lion cub to you, so to speak, that's because your faith was small. Your devotion was smaller. But over time, you've grown in faith. You've come to know me better, and your faith has grown, and you're starting to see me for who I really am. And your devotion for who I really am is increasing as well. As we grow in faith, the object of our devotion, that is Jesus Christ, As we grow in faith, the object of our devotion as well as our devotion to Him, it grows. What may move you into being a member of the kingdom of God, to being a member of God's church, it may be small, it may be a little thing. You may even be thinking, this is crazy, why am I doing this? I don't want to do this, but yet I do want to do this. There's one side of you who says, yeah, it's time to unite my life with Christ in baptism, or it's time for me to take this next step. But at the same time, you're saying, no, I can't do that. I can't agree with everything. I don't believe everything. I don't know everything. But yet you're saying, i got to do it. And then you do. You take that step. And two years later, you kind of reflect on that, and you're like, how did I get here? Because you've grown. Five years later, you kind of reflect on that. How did I get here? How is my devotion to Christ? How is my love for Him and, and His people and, and doing His will? How has it grown to be this? Just over time, after you connected with Christ, you gave yourself over to growing to know who He really is. And your devotion for Him has inspired you to go and be somebody that you never imagined you could be. 
And that's how it works with a relationship with God and membership in his church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And a really great scripture and a really great memory and history of your church that has been recorded for us thousands of years later as they were hearing your word preach and they were cut to the heart and convicted by the, the presence of the Spirit in that word. We are excited and thankful uh, that on that special, at that special time that your Spirit came upon the apostles in a way that we can't fully understand and that through the presence of your word being preached, your Spirit was at work in the lives of others so that as people accept in faith, your truth and your grace, and they respond to your will, your way. They receive the same power and opportunity to grow in ways that they never imagined as they grow in their devotion to you, but to go and serve your will in their life and in their community. It's an amazing and powerful story that is a cosmic story, and it's a story, Lord, that we want to be prevalent preached with truth, preached with grace, preached with devotion in your church here at Canoe Creek as well as other churches all over the world. And we pray that it would transform lives. We pray that it would energize and encourage those who are growing stale and struggling in their faith. And we pray, Father, that you would encourage us in ways that we never could imagine as we grow to know your devotion to us and we devote ourselves to you. Help us to love others and to love you as you have loved us. And that it would be demonstrated in our actions. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.